The gathering with Roger B. occurs monthly in Wyzetta, Minnesota. Attendees are 12-steppers, those who have been affected by another's addiction, and some who are simply interested in improving their personal level of life satisfaction using a variety of spiritually-based tools. It is also used as a tool for study groups nationwide. The gathering's talks are generally tied to one or more of the 12 steps, but are always guided by spiritual concepts, principles, and ideas common to most faiths. Topics are drawn from a variety of sources, the 12 steps, many of the well-known wisdom texts, science, and other teachers that speak to a spiritual solution to life's challenges. Roger has been in recovery for over 40 years and has spent thousands of hours in service sharing his experience, strength, and hope. He has created curriculum for treatment centers and leads workshops and retreats throughout the United States and Canada. Roger is a spiritual director and offers insight into spiritually-based living skills that are relevant to all people, whether in recovery or not. I've been thinking about this this idea about self that our book talks about. And, uh, you know, the first step talks about admitting we're powerless. And then the connecting thought is that that includes powerless to manage our lives to our satisfaction, to a sufficient level of, of functionality. And so what is under that is the failure of self-reliance. We talk about it a lot, but I've been thinking about it. I want to give it some ideas to you from a little different angle. So if I am experiencing the failure of self-reliance, the question is, what are, what are the options? If it's not me, what's it going to be, right? So I was thinking about this in terms of, of uh, myth. I think there are, for me, there are two questions that were fundamental when I was born. They just were in me from my earliest recollection. Who am I and why am I here? What's my identity and what's my purpose? And for the sake of this, this self-reliance idea, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about myths. Here's a couple of definitions of myths. A traditional story, especially one concerning the early history of a people or explaining some natural or social phenomenon and typically involving supernatural beings or events, i.e. religion, i.e. Celtic myths, uh, Hindu myths. Another, another definition is an idea or story that's believed by many people, but that is not true. A story that was told in ancient culture to explain a practice, belief, or natural phenomenon. A story that's told in a culture that's not true. There are all kinds of stories in our culture about self-reliance. Self-reliance is honored in this culture. Self-reliance is the biggest deal you got, right? So I got to go, who is self? When I got these two questions in me, who am I and why am I here? Those are questions that drive me to God, drive me to the creator. I don't know that. I just know that everything I've tried to do with self-reliance has always left me hungry, feeling empty, feeling not enough, inadequate. So what are some of those messages, you know? Um, here's a good one that we got. Um, this is the United States of America, the land of opportunity. 
if you're willing to sacrifice, if you're willing to sacrifice and work really hard, you can have anything you want. It doesn't say anything you want in here. It's talking about anything you want out there. So the whole culture is set up for external referral and materialism. So, so now you take that and you overlay it when you're born. I didn't say I'm Roger. They said I'm Roger. I didn't say I wanted to be a Lutheran. They said I was going to be a Lutheran. I didn't pick the neighborhood. I didn't pick the school. I didn't pick anything. Those things were all poured into me. So I start out with this false idea of who I am. I am, I mean, think about it. I am, you are, we are who we were told to be. And why would you question it? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. But it's all about dualism, isn't it? So I have my parents giving me subtle and not so subtle messages about who I am and what I'm about. This is what we believe. You know, and I get these little, little ethos laid down in which honesty is the best policy. Don't air your dirty laundry in public, which is code for to keep his secrets right here in the house, you know, and on and on and on. So I'm starting out on this path with a bunch of misinformation. It's true. My identity is Roger, but that's not who I am. That whole identity and think of your preferences. They were all given to you. Think of what advertising is doing. Advertising is creating appetites and, and preferences for you. You know, if you want to be somebody, if you want to have the whitest teeth in your meeting, use this toothpaste. If you, if you want to get this guy, if you want to get this girl, get this car, right? What's your number? What's your number? Oh, that's not a good number. It's got to have at least nine digits in it to be a good number. So the whole thing, this whole setup is predicated on fear. I better hustle. I better get it done because I don't want to be in dualism in this country. You are either a winner or a loser. You're not a participant. You're a winner or a loser. If you're in business, it's all about winning, right? It's all about achieving. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, except it's a bankrupt system for building a spiritual life. Because everything I learned about God through the church and, and these ideas I was given, one, it was never explained, and two, I had no idea what they were talking about. So it had absolutely nothing to do with me except for compliance and conformity. So I get these messages. Then you go to school. What happened? You start getting measured. I am my numbers. You're the slowest guy in the 50-yard dash. I'm just telling you. I thought you'd like to know. This is where you are, 50 classmates, and you're way down here. That means all those people are what? Better than me. No, it just means they're faster. It doesn't mean they're better. But I don't know that because I've equated the success metaphor, the success, with being the top dog. So success is money, power, fame, acquisition. I mean, we had, what was the cultural measure we had, what, maybe 10 years ago? Maybe 20 years ago? I don't know. I don't even know what day it is. Um, the one who dies with the most toys wins. That's all about materialism and consumerism, isn't it? That has nothing to do with my solar spirit. And I'm not saying 
don't have 10 cars if you want 10 cars. I'm just saying that ain't going to get you where you want to go. It's not going to get you to satisfaction. It's not going to get you to fulfillment because when you're oriented this way, anytime you get a goal, you got to get another one. Why? Because I got the goal. And the goal didn't fill the hole. It didn't keep the promise. Damn. So they said, go to school, get a college degree and get out here and get a job. I know PhDs that are working at McDonald's. They went and got their degree. They came out and then business said, you know what? You got to have a master's now. So I went back and got my master's. And that wasn't good enough. So then I went back and got a PhD. So I spent about nine years in school. And I'm entering the labor market at age 35, whatever, you know, but it doesn't do it. It doesn't fix it because when you're, when you're oriented this way, you always have to have more. And the reason you have to have more is because you bought a lie that when you get the picture right, when you get the picture right, you won't feel this way anymore. What? What way is that? Less than. Inept. Not enough. Vulnerable. Scared. We're talking about shame and fear. I'm just not enough. Because if I was enough, I wouldn't feel this way. And you see the orientation? That's why the book says self-reliance is what's failed us. Utterly, completely, devastatingly. So this is about programming. You know, when you go to school and you learn the alphabet, that's programming. You learn math, that's programming. You learn history, you're programming with information, but you're programming. And so one of the reasons it's so hard to get stober and say stober is you got to be here long enough to get enough of the old programming overwritten or deleted before you start having the effect of the recovery. The first effect, effect is relief. But, you know, that relief is good for a while, but it, it won't last forever. It's so great I stopped drinking. You know, I'm getting some attaboys. My friends like me better. I'm doing better at work. Everything's fine. Nothing's been addressed in here. So with that system, I think comes another way to look at this. Three compulsions. The compulsion to be successful. And what is success in this culture? It's stuff. It's money, power, prestige. Right? To be right. Oh, that's a big one. Got to be right. And the ego is always doing this. Who's right? Because I can't afford to be wrong. So I am going to lie, cheat, steal, cajole, manipulate, whatever I can do to get you to understand that I didn't make a mistake. Because mistakes are unforgivable, right? Failure is not an option. Try harder. You can spend your whole life chasing this stuff and end up at the end exhausted with nothing. You might have accumulated a bunch of stuff, but you have no peace. I'm trying to sculpt a new idea using different approaches. I can't do this dualistic thing, winner, loser, success, failure. You know what? What do we learn in the spiritual life? You even learn this in, in, your, in your regular business life, too, but it's more clear in the spiritual life. The mistakes are essential because the mistakes are how I'm taught. They are, what, they are the vehicle for my learning. 
So if I'm running around not making mistakes and I can't cop to a mistake, I can't admit a mistake, I can't do a four-step because I can't look at that, I'm screwed. Deeply, deeply. I'm out on the raft. That's why you see guys with 10, 15, 20 years sobriety doing really well by the world standards, and all of a sudden one day they blow their brains out and they hang themselves or they get drunk or someone finds out about their mistress, you know, and the whole facade gets blown up. This, this persona, the, the me that I show the world is who I want you to think I am. And behind that persona is who I really am, which is scared, less than, terrified of being inferior or making a mistake, etc. right? So when the facade is successful, it makes it even worse on the other side of the wall, doesn't it? Now I'm living in hell. You're saying, you're doing great. Oh, we love it. And the more praise I get, the worse I feel because I'm so damn counterfeit. I'm just such a fake because what's going on in my head is, <coughs> pardon me, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't be clapping. If you knew what was really going on, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that was too good, you know? So there's uh, five riffs in, in this, I think, in this false self. I am what I do, prestige, status with the job or the role I'm playing. You know, you can be a wildly successful person and be a stay-at-home mom or dad. You can be a CEO making scads of money and be a total failure inside, Right. So I need to figure out for me what successful is going to be. And what we find in recovery is successful is right living. The right source. Return to God. God, Come from God in all things. Then the next one is I am what I have. That's my stuff. And that's how we tell people how well we're doing. You see my Rolex? Oh, oh, so it's not my Rolex. Jesus. What? You see my Mercedes? See my license plate? Big deal. 101. You know? Do you see my wife? Do you see my cars? Do you see my boats? Do you see my stuff? You should be able to see it. I've left all the garage doors up and parked some stuff in the front yard. Come on. This is the big one. And this kicks everyone's ass to a greater or lesser degree. I am what you think of me. If I am what you think of me, I'm a stuffed doll in a lion's mouth. Because I will do anything possible to get your approval. And when I get it, it still won't be enough. I am what you think of me. Because I don't know what to think of me. And I'm terrified that what I feel about me is so terrifying that I can't even put it on the table. Inferiority. Hypocrisy. Lying. Manipulation. Stealing. I'm not going to put that on the table. I'm not connected to you. No connection. No connection. The prayer that starts with our father tells you the connection. We're the sons and daughters of God. We're all related. It's called the brotherhood of man. If you accept the premise. If you don't, that's fine. But if I'm not connected to you, then I have a great rationalization for why I don't have to be careful of you, why I can use you, why I can abuse you, right? And I don't believe in God. 
So there's no accountability. There's no higher authority. This is the problem with self-reliance. I am the authority. And <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like sitting in a boat that's sinking. And you go, no, no, no. It's just a little damp. Just bail a little faster. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. You know, and it's just not working. And I don't know what to do. So I just row faster. Carl, put your finger in that hole. Missy, bail that thing out. Susan, put the sail up. Do something, you know, because I can't have that failure. That failure is intrinsic to having a spiritual breakthrough. If I can't admit my powerlessness, I can't do this. Because it's all about finding a power greater than myself, isn't it? And what's the point? The point's not not drinking. The point's finding, establishing, and growing a relationship with the God of your understanding. That's what the 12 steps says. You've had a spiritual awakening. I have. When did that happen? In the first 11. Oh, I'm different. I'm slowly starting to become based on a different set of principles. Another self-reliant one is the bootstrap metaphor. You remember that? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What the hell does that mean, even? You're standing in your boot trying to pull it on while you're standing. That's not going to work, right? Never give up, which is code for don't admit a failure. And we're exhausted. And that's a blessing of our addiction. That's why we drank. That's why we did drugs. That's why we acted out sexually. That's why we gamble. That's why we do porn. We need something to take the edge off. And for most of us, I'm talking for myself, but I think most of you would agree, the alcohol was a great take the edge off thing. And in the beginning, used the way we used it when we started, it was quite effective. But it didn't stay effective. And so it took more to get the same effect. And then pretty soon, I couldn't get the same effect. So I started mixing and matching things. And then, you know, it just goes down the road. And then when you realize I might have a problem here, it's already too late to stop. You're toasty. You're toasty. So to be successful, to be right, the ego is always going to ask who's right. And the spirit asks what's right. What's right? Now we're talking about principle. Who's right? We're talking about individuals. And you know, and we know, there's 26 people in this meeting, 26 different realities, 26 different mindsets and consciousnesses. So there you go. What are you going to do with that? How are we going to communicate? Because I think that's true. I've done a lot of stuff in workshops and retreats and stuff. And the last day I was give them an opportunity to get clarifications or tell me what they took away. And sometimes it's terrifying because they took away stuff that I didn't say. <laughs> they got concepts and they twisted them. Why? Because of the way they see the world. And, and so the communication, if there's any communication that happens between us, it's going to be heart to heart. I'm going to accidentally stumble across a truth and your spirit, your soul, who you really be will recognize it and you'll resonate to it. You might not be able to hold on to it, but you'll have an experience of it. I felt something there. I felt something there. Pay attention to that. That's important. 
So to be successful, to be right, to be powerful, meaning have everything under control. In a world, you know this, in a world that's constantly changing, young rascals, <laughs> in a world that's constantly changing, how can I be sure that was the line? You can't be sure. You can't be sure of what's going to happen next. But that's what this control thing is about, because here's another false idea. If you can control things, you'll be safe. You'll be secure. No, you're not. You're going to be worried about what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, five years from now, and when you retire. It's, there's no peace in that. Be a powerful, be powerful. And our whole thing is predicated on being powerless. And so we start through this journey of deprogramming ourselves from the worldly sense. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that I disavow material things. It means I detach from their value. Their value is now utilitarian for me. I have a car. I need to get, I don't need a $150,000 car. I have a car. I have transportation. I have a roof over my head. I have food in the refrigerator. I got good people around me. Some of them are heavily armed. <laughs> my neighbors, this is kind of a high caliber neighborhood. <laughs> but there's no crime. <laughs> anyway, um, you get the drift. Fear and shame are the drivers in all this. The organizing principle of our addiction is dishonesty. And it, that dishonesty is fueled by fear and shame. I'm not safe and I'm not lovable. I'm not safe and I'm not lovable. And then we start going through these exercises we call steps to find out, to examine the programming. So first I got to get over the powerless hump. Then I got to get to the point where I'm willing to believe in the possibility there may be a power that could help me. Then they're going to make a decision to go for it. So the first concrete action is a four-step inventory. And that's the beginning of the archaeological dig into my programming. Resentment, fear, sex conduct. Harmful behavior to other people. And when you're new and you do this, you're not going to get it all. But you're going to get enough to make progress. And what you miss will come later. In 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. It'll come to your awareness, you know, because I'll be think, thinking, well, I did a fourth step and I did a fifth step. And, and then I get going down the road after I do my three amends and I realize I missed a couple of things. It comes to my awareness. You know, I think this is also about, <coughs> pardon me, about God's grace. God did let me know more than I could handle. If I would have known everything I was going to have to do in the first 40 years, I wouldn't have done it because even without any of that, I would sit in those meetings and say, this is impossible. I can't do this. Well, do what? Give myself to a different set of programming. Give myself to a program. We call it a program. Programs to program you. Okay. Resentment's a program. Fear is a program. Shame's a program. You know? And so we start this process of undoing this incredibly knotted up ball of twine. And it usually helps to have 
help. That's usually, these days, it's usually a sponsor or spiritual director or guide or somebody that you have accountability with and you can be completely honest with. And that person can give you insights that you can't get because they're not emotionally involved in your mess. Because all I can see is my mess. I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I can't see the hope in the beginning. So I'm just trusting and taking you at your word that this works. Then I start doing it and I will get results. If I don't get results, it's because I'm skipping something that's critical, like half the steps <laughs> or just one part of one step. I'm just not going to do an inventory, you know? No, nah, I don't want to put anything in writing. That's dangerous, right? <laughs> it's bullshit. I was afraid of what was going to happen when I did the fifth step. That's one of the tricks of our ism. It always takes your eyeballs to the, the, the deal breaker. I can do step one, but the deal breaker is two. I can't believe there's the power rate of me. Because I predicated my whole life, the first 30 years of it, on the idea there was no God. So that's a problem. That's an impediment. It's not impossible, but it has to be breached. I have to find a way to get over it. So I can make a decision to go forward. And the only way I'll know if those three ideas are solid is I'm doing a four-step. Because that's the first concrete action I can look at and say, I am doing this. What? Who knows? You know, you can talk about one, two, and three for forever. In fact, talk about one, two, and three, and then when we get to four, I always go out and get drunk. How many people have you known like that? I always get drunk right before my four step. I don't know why. <laughs> Let me help. <laughs> right? Or I always get drunk after I do six and seven, because I don't want to do those amends. And, this is part of that idea. Be where you are. You can't be where I am. You have to be where you are. And my job is to meet you where you are and walk you out. So that means I have to put this in terms and explain it in ways that you can access it. Failure of self-reliance turns out to be the greatest blessing in my life. And it sure didn't look like it when we were starting out. No one was looking at me going, he's so blessed. What a complete failure. Oh, wow. <laughs> no. So, okay, I'm going to stop the recording here, and then we're going to have you guys share. New episodes of The Gathering are published twice a month and can be found on Spotify and other major podcast apps. You can follow The Gathering on Spotify and others to receive monthly notifications of new episodes.